Hi there. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, this morning, I want us to see what true Christianity looks like. Real Christianity. You know, the kind that makes a difference in the world. As opposed to the add-on kind of Christianity that seems to pervade our culture today. But before we get there, we've got to get to grips with a rather challenging uh, passage of Scripture from 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, so if you'd like to read with me, I'm going to read from verse 18. This is what Peter says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, where mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now Peter is speaking here to slaves, and slavery being where one person treats another as their property. And it's one of the tragic results of the broken relationship between God and humankind. But it was common practice in the ancient world. In fact, in the Roman Empire, when Peter was writing, it's estimated that maybe uh, 20 or 30% of the population could have been made up of slaves. And we're not talking about the despicable uh, race-based slavery that's been such a, a shameful blot on our American and British histories. Uh, in the ancient world, people became slaves because they were taken into captivity through war or because they couldn't repay a debt or, or because of poverty. Uh, and of course, any kind of slavery goes against the biblical worldview that all mankind is made in God's image and therefore are to be treated with equal status and respect and dignity uh, and so on. Um, and that, of course, is reinforced by the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, which is why, you know, it's, it's lamentable, really, that the church through history has it's just taken so long to operate from that worldview and to come against this terrible injustice of slavery. Uh, nevertheless, it was Christians like William Wilberforce who led the charge, uh, and it's Christian organizations like International Justice Mission who are leading the charge today. But, you know, the Romans, they didn't operate from a biblical worldview, and having slaves was just seen as an accepted part of society. And, and for the most part, you know, sl slaves were treated well. They were seen as, you know, part of the household. Um, but in some cases, as Peter is suggesting here, uh, masters would have been considered harsh and unjust 
And so Peter is writing here to slaves about how they should respond to such injustice, you know, in the context of their oppressive culture. And uh, as we've seen previously, he's actually reminding all Christians in this letter uh, that they are sojourners in this world. You know, this is not our homeland. We're all like resident aliens. And so in verse 11 of this chapter, Peter is saying that we should all be living our lives in such a way that causes people to give glory to God, even if, as in this case, it means being submissive and respectful to unjust masters, which I know is a little jarring to our ears today, isn't it? Uh, But let's just read again what he says there in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, you know, you might be thinking, what on earth has that got to do with me, right? Peter's writing here to slaves. I mean, this is a different time. It's a different context. You know, it just doesn't really apply to us today. But let's just jump ahead a few verses to chapter 3, verse 17, where Peter is now addressing his whole Christian audience, right? This is addressed to all Christians. This is what he says. He says, For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. He's saying there that, you know, for all Christians, there may be times when it's God's will for us to suffer unjustly. And that we suffer injustice in a way that we're mindful of him and that brings him glory. Now, I realize that in saying that, it's going to cause many people to react, right? I mean, any talk of submitting to injustice or inequality in our culture is understandably going to lead to cause to resist and fight for your rights and so on. But, you know, when you consider the one that we profess to follow, he did not consider equality with God something to be held onto, uh, but he lay it down. He, in a sense, laid down his rights. He submitted himself to unjust suffering. And so, as his followers, don't you think there may be times when we might be called to do the same? I'm just going to leave you to think about that. I don't want to get into specifics. I don't want to start kind of trying to imagine different situations uh, where that might happen, because I just think it's going to vary from case to case. You know, there may be times when we're called to stand up to injustice, other times when we're called to endure it and to bear witness to the sufferings of Christ. I think what's important in all of this, this is what's important, is that we are following the example of Christ. Uh, And that's what I want to to be our focus here, okay? It's what uh, Peter actually says in verse 21. Let's just read that. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So what was his example? Uh, Well, in the next three verses, Peter gives us four things that Jesus did not do and two things that he did do. Right. So let's just take a quick look at those. Uh, First of all, 
the four things that Jesus did not do as he suffered injustice at the hands of sinful men. Uh, verse 22, it says this. It says, he committed no sin. So that's the first thing. He did not sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. That's the second thing. He did not lie. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. That's the third thing. He did not retaliate. And then when he suffered, he did not threaten. That's the fourth thing. So the first thing is he did not sin. You know, sometimes suffering can lead us to sin. Uh, you know, when we feel resentful, maybe, about the way that we've been treated, it can cause us to throw off all restraint, uh, where we become vulnerable to temptation. And, and especially when we are kind of feeling sorry for ourselves, you know, throwing a pity party and or where we're blaming God for the situation. And we've all been there, you know, and we've done things that maybe we've later regretted because our judgment is clouded by our emotions. And so maybe you end up getting drunk or lashing out at the one that you love or maybe getting too familiar with the person at work who shows you sympathy. When Jesus suffered injustice, he did not become careless about sin. In fact, in Hebrews 4, it says that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. But it also says that he therefore understands what we go through and that we should go to him to find grace and mercy so that you know, we won't give in to temptation ourselves. So can I just encourage you today, if you're hurting, don't go looking for comfort in the things that will only add to your suffering. Right? Find your comfort in Jesus. So that's the first thing. He did not sin. The second thing is he did not lie. Jesus did not lie in the face of suffering. And, you know, so often I think we were tempted to lie or deceive others to avoid suffering. You know, and Peter, who wrote this, he knew from painful experience what that was like. When Jesus was arrested, Peter was confronted by a slave girl who said he was with Jesus. And, and Peter totally denied it. He lied to save his own skin. And it was something he came to bitterly regret later on. You know, we may all face situations uh, where you know, we may face persecution, uh, hardship, uh, you know, suffering. And it's so tempting to lie to avoid that. And so easy to do in the moment. And yet so often we end up suffering a whole lot more as we have to live with the guilt or when we get found out. So that's the second thing. He did not lie. The third thing is he did not retaliate. At the time of his trial, Jesus was mocked and insulted, but he didn't retaliate. Right? He didn't trade insult for insult. When people insult you and put you down, it's so easy, isn't it, uh, just to respond in the same way? You know, give a sarky reply, give them the finger. You know, but but when you do, you're becoming just like them. Right? You're following their lead, whereas Jesus says, "Follow me, follow my lead." See when we respond with anger to other people's anger we're just adding to the darkness right we're just adding to the hatred that's already in the world uh, as, as i saw lecrae tweet last week uh, he said this hatred does not end suffering 
you will only hate your way into more suffering. So that's the third thing, that he did not retaliate. The fourth thing is that he did not threaten. He did not threaten. You know, when his enemies had him arrested, uh, subjected him to an unfair trial, sentenced him to be crucified, Jesus did not threaten them with revenge or justice. He could have done, couldn't he? Uh, think about it. In a few days' time, he was going to be raised from the dead. He could have said, you wait, I'll be back, right? But he didn't, did he? Uh, he could have said, you know, one day I'll be the judge and you'll be the ones on trial and you are going down. But he didn't. He remained silent. In fact, the only thing that he said about them was from the cross where he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, let me remind you of that well-known story of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, who lived with constant threat. Uh, it was when he was a, a young minister helping to organize the bus boycott in 1956. And he was wakened up in the middle of the night by a phone call. And his voice said, if you don't get out of town within three days, we're going to kill your family. Well, of course, he couldn't sleep after that. Uh, he sat there in the kitchen with a cup of coffee, his young family sleeping in the next room. He was scared to death, trying to figure out how he was going to get out of Montgomery. And right in that moment, something very unexpected happened. Something stirred within him. He says he heard this kind of small, still voice speaking to him, saying, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And I will be with you. And he says the voice promised him that he would never leave him, that he would never be left alone. And right that night in, in his kitchen, Dr. Martin Luther King experienced the presence of Christ and it took away all his fear. It changed how he saw the world around him. It changed everything about how he saw things. And he said he knew he could do anything. Well, his new view of the world was about to be tested because four days later he was speaking at a rally when someone came running in saying, Mr. King, Mr. King, someone's firebombed your home and your, your wife and daughter inside. And so he ran back and thankfully his family were unharmed. But this angry mob from his black community had gathered outside his house, all armed with, with guns and bats, ready to retaliate. Martin Luther King stood up on his smoldering porch and he addressed the crowd. And this is what he said. He said, he who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. I want you to love your enemies. Be good to them. Love them and let them know you love them. For we are doing what is right. We are doing what is just. And God is with us. The mob put down their guns and bats and they began singing Amazing Grace. And historians look back to that night as the turning point in the civil rights movement. It was the night where nonviolence and love were put into practice. But in actual fact, you know, the turning point really came four nights before in King's Kitchen, where he encountered the presence of Christ. And it changed him. You know, it changed how he viewed his oppressors. And it's only really through us encountering Jesus and walking with him that enables us to respond to suffering in such a way. Because otherwise everything in us cries out for vengeance and to get even, doesn't it? 
Uh, not that it means we should do nothing, because as King said, quoting Jesus, you know, we're to love our enemies and do good to them. Uh, which brings me on to the two things that Jesus did do that Peter mentions, uh, where we're also called to follow him. And uh, so we've seen the four things he didn't do. What are the two things that he did do? Right? Verse 23 says this, that he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He put himself in the hands of his father, knowing that God would vindicate him. And so for us, you know, we've got to remember that God is the judge of all mankind and that one day he will bring justice. As King so famously said once, quoting Amos, let justice roll down like a river. You know, because only God can judge justly. Only God knows all things. And so we are called to entrust ourselves to him, to uh, entrust the justice of our cause to him. That's why it says in Psalm 37, it says this, Do not fret because of evildoers. It says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So we're not saying that justice doesn't matter or that the wrongdoer should get away with it. No, we're just looking for God to vindicate us. We're trusting that one day there will be justice. And I know, you know, how hard it is, you know, not to retaliate, not to react uh, to that person, you know, when they do or say something in the way that they do, especially when it's aimed at us, you know. But by not reacting does not mean they get the last word. No, we're just looking to God and letting him have the last word. And he will, right? Nothing escapes his notice. So can you do that today? Because that's what breaks the yoke of self-pity. That's what breaks the yoke of bitterness, right? It's what sets us free, right? If you can give him your cause today, right? If you can entrust yourself to him, lay it down, okay? Then you can walk out today free men and women. And it is so important that we do. Because that's what frees us to follow Jesus' example in the second thing that Peter mentions in here. And this is where we really do make an impact on the world, which can lead people to glorify God because of us, okay? What's the second thing that Peter says that Jesus did here? Verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. Now, obviously, we can't bear people's sins like Jesus did. So what does this mean then to follow his example, as Peter says here? Well, think about it. You know, when people were sinning against him, instead of taking revenge, Jesus was taking their sins up onto the cross so they may be healed, right? When people were causing him to suffer, Jesus was willingly suffering for their salvation. 
Right? Instead of uh, giving them what they deserved, he died for them so that they might receive forgiveness and not judgment. And Peter says, this is an example that we should follow in his footsteps. So you know, what does that mean for us? Well, again, what did he say? It says that he himself bore our sin. He bore our sin, right? Not just all those bad people out there, right? All our enemies. No, our sin. He bore our sin. He died for you and me, right? Romans 5 says that, doesn't it? That even while we were still sinners, enemies of God, it says, Christ died for us that we might be reconciled to him, right? And if we truly understand that, right, if we have been humbled by the amazing grace that he has shown us, then like Martin Luther King, we will also be able to say we will love our enemies and do good to them because that is what Christ did for us. And that's what it means to follow in his footsteps. Now listen to what Peter says a little later on in chapter 3. I'm going to read this from the Message Translation, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. He says, summing up then, he says, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. But what about justice, we cry? What about justice? Well, again, listen to the Apostle Paul now from Romans chapter 12. He says in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Right? He'll be convicted by your kindness. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can I suggest to you that following Jesus in the way that I've just described is what true Christianity really looks like? Right? It's radical in its nature because it means laying self down. It means laying down our preferences and our rights and trusting God. And it looks so different to the kind of Christianity that pervades our Western world today, right? Where it's a kind of personal faith that, you know, it brings me comfort, but it's never really been allowed to disrupt my life and my attitudes, right? It's just something that's been kind of added on. You know, it's just an add-on to my existing life. Uh, along with my political affiliations, my Facebook likes. Uh, you know, the axe has never really been laid to the root of my life where I've died to sin, I've died to self, and I'm now living for the sake of Christ and others, even if it means they're my enemies or the enemies of Christ, yet I'm seeking to do them good and to bless them. I think it's this add-on Christianity uh, that has caused so many people to hate the church and to be totally confused about what true Christianity really looks like. Listen, are you willing to lay down your phone, right? Lay down your opinions, lay down your life, and follow hard after Christ and make a real difference in this world? Are you willing to do what John Piper says? 
Can you say this? He says, yes, I've been unjustly hurt and let down. I've been mistreated and offended. And yes, they deserve to be shown up and brought to justice and rebuked. But no, I will not be bitter. I will not retaliate. I will not criticize or slander. I will return good for evil and I will bless rather than curse. Can you say that? Because that's what this world needs to see and hear from Christ's followers today. Right? Is there something that you need to lay down? Let me close with this. While there may be times where we are called to suffer injustice as we follow Jesus, at the same time, we are called to stand against the injustice that is inflicted upon others. And Jesus himself did that, you know. Um, even though he endured suffering himself and didn't retaliate, at the same time, when he saw the prejudice in the temple, uh, how the Gentiles were being treated, uh, excluded from their place of prayer because of all the buying and selling that was going on there, he was angry. He was mad. I mean, he turned over the tables. Uh, he drove the people out, didn't he? And so, you know, while we may be called to suffer injustice as Jesus did, at the same time, we're called to stand against the injustice that is inflicted upon others. So if I can finish now where I started, which is with the issue of slavery, Right? Slavery is one of those uh, terrible injustices that is still present in our world today. And I'm so happy that it's one of the issues that our church has been involved in fighting against. And so I just really want to let you know that there's another Freedom Sunday coming up soon. Uh, we'll send you details when we have them. Uh, but it'll be an opportunity to update you on everything that's been happening and let you know how you can continue to be involved in this fight against slavery. But until then, God bless you. Uh, now go, all right? Go and be a blessing, and especially to those who deserve it the least.